Lights, camera, action. The first ever San Diego Film Week is happening February 10th to 19th at the Museum of Photographic Arts. Join us for award-nominated local films, industry workshops, and screenings from some of San Diego's diverse film festivals, including the San Diego Latino Film Fest, San Diego Asian Film Festival, the GI Film Fest SD, and more. For tickets and more info, visit SanDiegoFilmWeek.com. Hey, intellectuals, are you looking for something new to listen to? Tired of the same old podcasts? Make sure you're checking out Erie Canal Theater. They're based out of Detroit, Michigan, and they're doing some amazing things. They create what they call audio cartoons. This is original theater for your imagination. It's like classic radio plays, but cool new stories. Check out Switchboard Infinity. It's their sci-fi audio play. You'll love it. Go to ErieCanalTheater.com for more information on all of their shows, or just search them out on your favorite podcast player. Erie Canal Theater. It's like giving your ears a gift. Hello there, citizens. I am the terror that flaps in the night. I am the floaty that will not flush no matter how many times you try in the toilet bowl of crime. I am Darkwing Duck. Telling you, please, talk hard and enjoy the mindgasm. <laughs> Whatever the heck that means. After all, you are watching Intellectual Podcast with your ears. Welcome to the 180th episode of the Intellectual Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Dawson. Thanks for joining us here in 2017. I believe this is our first podcast back since the beginning of the new year. It's been a good break. Had a really good holidays. I hope you did as well. Uh, we all needed it after the craziness that was the election in November. And uh, I think we're going to need another break here pretty soon after the craziness that will be Inauguration Day. Uh, that's enough politics for now, though. Uh, we're going to get into some fun stuff on today's podcast. We sat down with TJ Shevlin at San Diego Comic Art Gallery and IDW Publishing and talked comics and popular culture. And it was awesome. And you're going to love it. TJ is incredibly well-versed in popular culture and comics. And we had a wonderful discussion. This one is with me and Carla as uh, it was a midday on a weekday. And uh, the delightful Whitney Wegman, unfortunately, had to work. So Carl and I uh, did our duty, braved the rain, and marched all the way down to downtown from where we live, way up in the North County area and South Orange County areas of uh, of the Southland. But uh, it was well worth it. TJ was a wonderful person to talk to, and I think you're going to enjoy this podcast immensely. And don't forget, uh, San Diego Film Week is coming in February, February 10th to the 19th, with screenings at the Museum of Photographic Arts in Balboa Park, feature films showing at the Digital Media Arts Center, and events happening all over town, such things as filming workshops for those of you interested in how to make movies, market movies, uh, get permits done for movies, all sorts of stuff's going to be covered at the workshops during film week. And of course, highlights from all of the major film festivals here in San Diego will happen at film week. So it's your chance to see what all the film is about in San Diego. So make sure you come out to film week. You can check out and get tickets at filmconsortiumsd.com as that stuff becomes available. So until then, sit back and listen to the intellectual podcast. This is number 180 with TJ Shevlin at San Diego Comic Art Gallery. Talk hard and enjoy the mindgasm. The intellectual podcast starts now. So we are sitting here at the San Diego Comic Art Gallery with TJ Shevlin. In this wonderful little library. In the IDW library. Like, this this is incredibly cool. We didn't get to come in here the other night when we came. No, we, we kind of had it closed off just because there were so many people in here that night. So um, I'm always a little afraid because it's such a tight space and... Not that anybody would, but there's always that mentality. I used to manage a comic book store for years. You're always worried that someone might walk off with something. So, <laughs> uh, In a room like this, I could see that being a fear. You know, I want to walk off with these terracotta transformers. Oh, I know. <laughs> it's, it's the coolest, man. I just, it, it's kind of neat to see that little mix of global history and uh, Cybertronian badassery so, all coming together. <laughs> 
Um, so tell us a little bit about the gallery. Like, sure. When when did it open? Because I know it's it's not terribly old. Yeah. No. The the gallery opened uh, June fifth. Yes. June fifth of twenty fifteen. So you'll be coming up on two years this summer. Yeah, we're really excited about that. I mean, it's been a really interesting two years. So it's been fun to kind of see where we were and where we are now and. Just uh, it started really, really small. We had a lot of art. It was, you know, mostly uh, Kevin Eastman's artwork, which is not a bad thing to have mostly of. But um, now it's it's really grown in the last nearly two years into uh, not just a celebration of Kevin's work and a celebration of IDW, but a celebration of comics. You know, we we've showcased so many different artists and different publishers and it's been it's been fun for us well that's an interesting uh comment because as a filmmaker like i'm acutely aware of the marvel cinematic universe versus dc cinematic universe and the internet trolls you either love one or the other there's no love for both if you love both you're full of crap (laughs) which is is total nonsense but i i get you know, from my time at Nerd HQ at Comic-Con, from my time at Comic-Con, the, the comics world, the drawing world, the art world still seems to be fairly supportive of one another and, and you know, holding up and building up the art form, you know, not absolutely. just the particular book, right? Yeah. I mean, that that's such a big deal is uh, this, I for me at least, the idea that we all love comic books. You know, you can like one thing more than the other, but this idea of one or the other is really, really limiting. And it almost, to me, it feels like you're not, you're not being loyal to one thing. You're doing yourself a disservice by cutting off so many other really great things that could end up having an impact on you or influencing you, uh, maybe even changing the way you view uh, art and sequential art and comics and all of it. And, um, and storytelling. Oh, absolutely. And, and it, you know, when I was, I got lucky when I was growing up, I, I, you know, I worked as a, I worked at a comic shop, my first job in high school. So, um, whatever I wasn't buying, I was still reading at the shop. And so I was reading everything and I, I don't think I would love comics the way I do and be into, uh, the overall love that I have with this industry, if not for reading everything that was put in front of me, good or bad, uh, you, you know, you, you can't, you can't make the, uh, decisions on what you like or what you don't like if you're only trying one thing you know that's well, it's like when you're a kid growing up like you don't know what vegetables you don't like exactly unless you actually try them you know and, and, that, and you call the kids out all the time like i don't like that have you ever tried it no no i just know i won't like it how do you know you don't like it you haven't tried it exactly and now you I, might like little my little pony if you actually sit down and read it oh yeah and that's that's the thing i mean as an adult i love brussels sprouts <laughs> you know, I mean, I I tell everybody all the time, comic books, and you know, it's kind of a fitting analogy considering where we are. But comic books to me are a lot like pizza. You know, um, everybody loves pepperoni, right? But every once in a while, you kind of want uh, black olives and green peppers. And pepperoni to me is superheroes. Superheroes certainly represent comic books in a way that few other genres do. Mm-hmm. But super, comic books are not superheroes. Comic books is a medium superheroes are a genre and you want to hope that maybe you'll try, you know, the horror movie that is eggplant on your pizza or, you know, <laughs> the, the romance of pineapple on your pizza. Yeah, Cause but, there've been comic books that have actually not, I wouldn't say glorified, but showcased the anti-hero. Oh, for sure. And you know, it, it, it's, I guess it's interesting because especially when I was a kid, the anti-hero with you know your Wolverines, your Punishers, your Spawns, you guys like that. That was that was the rage, and that and was, was the, the era. Of oh yeah, totally. Yeah. And it's always good to love a bad guy. Yeah, oh for sure. But you know, and this is why Carla's single and unhappy. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I am not unhappy. You didn't answer the other part. But, you know. <laughs> and then you know you 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 t- like for example we mentioned Wolverine, right? Mm-hmm. You take a character like Wolverine who was mysterious, badass, anti-hero guy. But then what else do you have? And as the character has gone on, over, especially over the last 15 years, now he's become the teacher, the mentor, the Ronin, the guy who doesn't want to be the killer that everybody expects him to be. And that, to me, is 
much more Always fascinating. Always trying to go against type. A- absolutely. And now it's not just, oh, cool, he's a badass who kills dudes. Now it's, this is a guy who doesn't want people to go down the road that he's gone through because of what it's done to him. So he takes all these younger mutants and even Spider-Man in some ways under his wing to kind of steer them away from that. And that's, to me, the evolution of comics in terms of characterization and storytelling is huge. And it's great because when people come in here, we'll go with the Turtles, for example, people see the roots with Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird at Mirage Studios. And, you know, the Turtles were certainly gritty and it was certainly kind of badass and all that. But most people only remember that part. They they always forget the most important dynamic to a Turtles book, to a, to a Turtles anything, is the family dynamic. Mm-hmm. It is mm-hmm. that they're brothers and Splinter's a father. And there's this kind of fractured family that comes in with April and then with Casey. And all of that kind of builds around one another. And so all, all the cool, like, the the fighting and the, and the cursing and the blood and the killing and all that, it's great. But it's so minuscule compared to what was the constant of the turtles in our book. It was one of the things that drew me to the Ninja Turtles when I was young because I was, you know, I was right at the right age for the turtles when they, when they hit because I was late elementary school, Mm -hmm. junior high, like right around the time Mm -hmm. they came out. Right. So they were, they were my thing. And what drew me into them was I came from a a fractured home at that point. Mm -hmm. My parents had divorced. We were living with my dad. Yeah. So I had, the single father figure raising the three kids and it's me and my two sisters. And we were this little unit that was like the three of us against the world and our dad kind of looking out for us, you know, but he he came and went and he he wasn't always there. And it was very unconventional at the Mm -hmm. time. Yeah. You know, it was very hard to deal with. And I, I just really latched on to that sense of we're a little unit. It's us. We're going to make this work. And the world. And when people make their way in, they're in. Yeah. You know, yeah. like I came April from a being the adopted father, sister. Three, like, yeah. You yeah know, I came from a totally single father and three, there was the three of us and my dad. So I can relate totally mm-hmm. to what you're saying in that. And I tell everybody comic books were always the constant, you know, superheroes were always there, especially as things were kind of rocky and tumultuous and all that. And that's the beauty of something like the turtles. So when we get people who come in and they get to meet Kevin or they get to look at all this turtle art, whether it's, the Mirage art, we had cartoon art for a long time in here. Like we had some cells and production sketches from the cartoon. Um, and then all the way up to the IDW title, you know, people get such a, a sense of, uh, uh, almost familiarity to the point of, um, connection with those characters because things may be a little tough for them, but that's that family that they've built. And that's the power of fiction. I, I you know, I tell everybody all the time. It doesn't matter whether your moral compass is Peter Parker or Holden Caulfield. If you get something out of fiction, that's the job of fiction. Right. And that's kind of my goal with the gallery is getting comics fans to come in here is fish in a barrel. I I can, I can do that eight days a week and twice on Sunday. But (laughs) when I get people in here who have never read a comic book before and they have no real understanding of our, of our industry, of our history, uh, of all the things that comics has influenced, and maybe they know it from the movies, but that's all they have. Uh, my goal is for them to leave with a new appreciation of of our medium, mm-hmm. of the influence that comic books has had over the course of the last 75, 80 years. And it's always great when you see them leave and, and they kind of – they leave with a newer appreciation for what it is that we do. They leave with a new appreciation for the art, for the artist, um, for just how much it takes to make one – 22 page single issue comic book they see the videos of us lettering and cover uh cover design and all that now here in the gallery you have that yeah on the screens going on the video is that that live no um (laughs) we we had talked about wanting to do live at some point without killing the bandwidth in here but for now it's all just video loops but we'll probably have fascinating oh yeah it's great i mean one of them is uh the cover design for our little nemo hardcover Mm -hmm. and then the other one is uh lettering on an issue of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Amazing Adventures. Right. So, and, and it's great because it's two totally different things. And uh, I don't ever want to say two totally different fan bases because the beauty of comics is, you know, it's not about, oh, well, you only like this one and not this one. Uh, most comics fans, it's two things. They want to read everything and they want to talk about it all. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. there, there's very... You know, there's still that sense of the gatekeeper mentality, which I've never really agreed with. Anybody who loves something, they want to 
talk about it all the time. They want to share it and they want people to love it the way they do because of what it means to them. And you, you don't see that with anything the way you see it with comic books. And it's because there's such a, there's such a passion for the material. There's a passion for the characters. And uh, there's almost this secret handshake amongst comics fans yeah. and they can't wait to and teach that's you why the comic secret handshake. such a big phenomenon. Absolutely. You Even know. before they started bringing in all the, the movies and the, yeah. the celebrities and things like that, it was starting to grow. Well, you know, it's always been a community, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and it's just it's nice because now it just seems bigger because and really like anything, it's bigger because of social media, because of the Internet, because of the accessibility that all of that brings. And now you get to see like there's probably some dude in Kentucky who all he's been wanting to do is talk about his favorite issue of Batman and he doesn't have anybody to talk about it with. And then he can get on the internet, make some friends, fly out to convention, and they get together. Or some girl who maybe feels like, you know, she can't talk about her love of comic books because the archaic oh mentality that yes. comics are for boys, which we all know is nonsense. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, she finds friends at her local comic shop and then they create a reading group together. Mm-hmm. And that's all, all comics, you know, all anything is, is a tribe. And all of us, we're just looking for our tribesmen. And comics, it's a really great way of uh, finding like-minded people. You just got to look for the T-shirts that they're wearing or <laughs> the tattoos that they have. We all wear it on our sleeve. Yeah. We See, all it's easier it. to find each other these days. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Just across the board, not just because of the internet, but because of graphic tees oh, and, yeah. and tattoos. And like we, we wear our, our nerddom like you know? a badge of honor. Oh, yeah. Because, you know, Whereas when, when I was a kid, like you were a nerd. You didn't I got tell Superman anybody. because you I, yeah. you know, identify with Superman. It's passion. You know, it, it, all of this is passion. Like you've got you've got guys and girls who love sports and they're obsessed with, you know, stats and uh, players and all that. It's the same thing as knowing Amazing Fantasy 15 and the difference between that and Amazing Spider-Man issue one. Yeah. You know, it, and knowing it, who inked what and exactly, and who drew what. you know, if you can tell me that uh, Mike Royer's inks on Jack Kirby are better than Vince Coletta's, that's some would say, oh, that's nerdy. And like to me, that's passion. That yeah. that's loving something and needing to know everything. And it, that's that, what being a nerd is. Yeah, it's, just, it's the voracious search for knowledge. About, yeah, and, and and getting to your thing about you know sports, the point that I used to make and I've heard other people make it lately is like, you know, fantasy football it's Dungeons is and Dungeons Dragons and Dragons for jocks. For jocks. Totally. Yeah. Oh, they absolutely. are every bit as big a nerd as any of the rest of us who do comic sure. books and whatever else. And like, I've made that point to a couple of my friends who were football players in high school and stuff. No, one of them actually looked at me and went, Oh, damn. <laughs> like, like he just, he's like, Really? Like it totally took him aback, and I'm like, and, "Yeah, you man, know, you're just as big a nerd as I am." Like everybody's just, nerdy for something. You just color it differently. Yeah, <laughs> and you know, I mean, it, it it's great. I mean, on the one hand, like say you love cooking, you know, you you love all those cooking shows out that. there. There's, yeah. there's a reason why there's a Food Network. Yeah, and then you you know you've got a book like Jiro uh, Jiro loves uh, was it uh, Get Jiro from uh, DC Vertigo, which was. You know, the whole like the sushi world and the Japanese mafia. And it's like, cool, you like food? Read that book. You know, you like football? Then there's, you know, weird sports stories. And mm-hmm. th- there's literally something for everybody. And I think that's what I love about what I get to do in here is uh, people can come in and they'll be surprised to see, you know, something on the wall. Like a, a great example is um, I had somebody come in we, uh, a few months ago. I want to say, wow, maybe longer, maybe about eight months ago. We had an exhibit in here, and it was um, art from Daredevil End of Days by Brian Michael Bendis and David Mack. Mm-hmm. And all the art is Bill Sienkiewicz and Klaus Janssen. So it's like two of the best Daredevil writers of all time and two of the best Daredevil artists of all time coming together to do a Daredevil miniseries, which is super cool. And we had, gosh, I want to say about 10 pages of art from that in there. And this is right when season two of Daredevil uh, hit on Netflix. And it was great because I had people coming in and they were so excited to see Daredevil, not because they read the comics before, but because they recognized it because they watched the show. Right. And that, that stigma, you know, Daredevil has always been such a fan favorite character and people love him. But there's always been that stigma to people who don't read comics of the Ben Affleck movie and they always go to that. And now that that's changed, 
more people are interested in seeing the characters' roots in the comics because they saw what you do when you handle Daredevil right outside of comics. Mm-hmm. You know, and so just her, her <laughs> There's excitement. There's still a big debate from some people on whether or not those things are being handled right. But I think it's I think what you're seeing more now in the in the film universe and the TV universe is a is a better representation of what we've seen in the certainly comics. it's like the Hollywood is has, no. has stopped trying to reinvent the wheel as far Just as drive those the stories goes. Yeah. They, yeah, they go back. Well, they to all comic wanted books. to do Christopher Reeve Superman. That was like right. That was what they all wanted, and then they and then then they had Tim Burton's Batman, and it's like okay, well that was still kind of larger than life cartoony representation mm-hmm. of of the material. Granted, right. Burton was dark, but it wasn't. You know, it wasn't Christopher Nolan type dark. And it just, you it's know, just Hollywood different. liked the bubblegum flavor of it, you know? You know, and but it, it, and they seem to finally be understanding that comics like, doesn't mean that. Like, for example, yeah. like The Walking Dead, they've gone back to or, or try to as much as they possibly can stay with what was written in the comics. Yeah. And, you know, that that's the beauty of source material is, um, I know a lot. Of, I know a lot of dudes. And when I was younger, especially when I was like nineteen, twenty, um, I was very much the well. If it's not like the comics, then what's the point? You know, it has to be exactly page for page, line for line. And you know, the older I got, the more it's like, well, I've read that. I, I don't necessarily need page for page, line for line. Uh, the most important thing with adapting anything is uh, cons- uh, consistency of characterization. You know, mm-hmm. if if the foundation of these characters and the world that they live in is there, tell all the stories you want to. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a bit of a Transformers nerd, and Ultra Magnus is one of the main Autobot characters. On the toy, on, on the box of the original toy in 86, the package has a quote for each character, and his was consistency is the key to victory. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that for everything that we do in comics, but especially with adaptations. Uh, you don't have to do the exact six issues of your favorite story arc, but you know, I see Superman kill somebody, I see Batman kill somebody, it pulls me out. It's it's the most jarring thing because if there's one thing that those two characters hold of importance above all else is the value of all life. You right. know, mm-hmm. um, I don't need things to be so realistic that I'm hearing about Batman losing cartilage in his knees. I want to know about Batman doing cool badass Batman things and. The reality of it is uh, his humanity, his compassion Mm -hmm. that, you know, it's not just beat up a bad guy and throw him in Arkham and throw away the key. It's beat up a bad guy, put him in Arkham, and then Bruce Wayne is putting money into the system to make sure that these men and women are getting rehabilitated because they're just as much victims of crime as he is. Certain villains aside. The thing I would like to see more well represented in the movies is in terms of Batman goes, and I've got a long history of Batman and Batman. But the thing that I would like to see represented better that hasn't been is the detective side of Batman. Absolutely. Like you don't see that in the film versions of Batman. The the development (laughs) of the projects, anything projects, but, 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 Figuring out yeah. who the villain is and you what know, the villain's doing and where is he going and and what's his motivation? All of that is missing in the well, films for me. I got lucky. I, I well, I feel like I got lucky because um, this the material that I grew up with is every every generation feels like their Batman is the best take on Batman. You know, <laughs> and, and it's very polarizing more than any other character. You know, Spidey's mostly pretty uh, continuous in that regard. Um, Superman is very representative of his eras, but the character always mostly gets better with every creator that gets on there. But with Batman, it's fascinating because you'll have, uh, you know, the guys who grew up on like Carmen Infantino and like, oh yeah, that's the best Batman right there. And then you'll have, you know, your O'Neill and Adams or your Rogers and Englehart, you know, um, Mike Barr, all those guys and um, Max Collins and Alan Davis. Mm -hmm. But then you get to, uh, for me, um, I feel like I got really lucky because I grew up on Alan Grant and Norm Brayfogle on Mm -hmm. Batman and then I grew up on Chuck Dixon writing every Batman book. And um, to me, that's Batman at at his most interesting. And again, at least to me, because um, you've got this really dark, grim sort of guy, but he's still in the blue and gray. You don't have the black or anything like that. And for as dark and as scary and terrifying as Batman was, especially with Norm Brayfogle doing the artwork or Kelly Jones doing the artwork, all, all these different guys... Um, the compassion of what he did was paramount. It was the most important thing to him. Um, 
making sure, you know, that what he was doing was trying to give everybody a second chance, you know, right. um, Harvey Dent's a victim of crime, right? Right. Uh, Mr. Freeze is a victim of crime. Poison Ivy is a victim of crime. Man Bat, Clayface, all those characters. And when you have that era, like when Chuck Dixon is writing and Alan Grant's writing, um, Batman is this badass dude for sure, but he wants to see all of them get a chance at, at having a normal life again. Redemption. Even, yeah, because, you know, what's Batman looking for? You know, Batman's looking for a second chance as well. He he feels guilty because he couldn't do anything about saving his parents, but what could he do? Whereas Dick Grayson could have easily saved his parents if he was up in the trapeze and he couldn't get to them because he was on the ground. Right. So, you, you know, guys like Chuck Dixon really... uh fleshed out that character in a way where you know it's not just batman the lone grim, lone grim avenger anymore it's batman with a bat cave full of people you know you've got alfred in there and then you've got harold their mechanic in there and then dick showing up as nightwing tim is robin uh barbara gordon is oracle and you got this big big family and everything the most important factor in what they were writing aside from that family dynamic it was less about the physical and more about the mental. It was the detective work, the intelligence, the um, the uh, kind of importance of methodology. You know, right. every it, Batman certainly is the greatest fighter, which in turn means Nightwing and Robin are clearly the greatest fighters because they were trained by him. Right. But more than that, it was the intelligence. It was how do you solve these crimes with your with your brain, with your intelligence, with your wits, not with your hands and with your um, gadgets. Right. And with the people you've collected around you. Absolutely. I think that's where, um, for better or worse, the Arrowverse, I think, does a really good job with that. The Flash, Arrow is a Arrow. great Batman show. Yeah, it's yeah. wonderful. It's Arrow, is, Arrow is a <laughs> great Batman, Batman show. show. And yeah. if it was just Batman, Robin, and Nightwing on there, Instead of, you know, Green Arrow and Speedy and Arsenal and all them, yeah. I, I think you could really do something special. But, you know, for for what it's worth, they, they do a bang up job with taking Green Arrow and doing something with him. And I don't want to call it Batman light because I think that does a disservice to what they've done with it. Right. But it's certainly more than just guy with a bow. Yeah. You know, and I wasn't a fan of Green Arrow at all. Like, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, when the show first came on, I didn't watch it like. Carla right. kept telling me, you got to watch Arrow. It's really good. I'm like, yeah, the, the, the dude with the goatee, like, really? Yeah. Come on. Yeah. I'm like, no, nah, you know, it's like. Ollie's a know. tough character. And, 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 and it's the same thing with Hawkeye in the Marvel Universe. I mm-hmm. didn't care for Hawkeye either. Like, I just didn't right. read the comics. I didn't care. But they've both become characters in their current forms on television and in film where I'm like, wow, these guys are really interesting. And you do get to see some growth in them. For better or for worse, you know, in mm-hmm. which whichever direction, whatever that episode happens, and to not be. always for better. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, you you look at um, a great example of uh, growth for characters and becoming more than what they were. Um, I'll go back to the turtles on this. Um, when I was growing up, you know, Leonardo was the leader, mm-hmm. and Donatello was the smart guy. Raphael's the attitude guy, and right. Mikey, of course, is the party dude. And then when you read our current book at IDW for Ninja Turtles. Um, Tom, uh, Tom Waltz, our writer on the book, he's really taken those, uh, very simple foundations for those characters and has made them so much more. And, you know, Leo, you've got as the dutiful eldest son and he's the leader and he has this weight on his shoulders and, and he's hoping he does right by their father and does right by his brothers. But is he doing right by himself and all, you know, all those things. And Donatello has this question of, uh, question of faith you know the spiritual side of ninjutsu he doesn't buy into it because how can you prove it the analytical thinker exactly and that's put contention between leo and donnie rather than the typical leo and raf uh butting heads Raphael, you've got this guy who's so angry and and full of you know he's this ball of rage but he doesn't want to be that guy you know and and for him it's so much you know yeah i give into it but it's not the guy i want to be all the time and you know i'm trying to find something that makes me feel whole. He's Mm -hmm. trying to find something that completes him. And with Mikey, it's great because since he's the little brother, it's not about, it's not just about Michelangelo as the party dude and the skater and all that. Now it's, he's their, he's their moral compass. He's their conscience. And um, for him, he, his goal with them is to be superheroes because superheroes do the right thing and they have the ability to do the right thing. And we should be out there always doing what we can to help people. Ever the optimist. Absolutely. And it's tough because 
Mikey being the youngest sees the world in black and white, not realizing just how gray our world is. Right. And it's a great black and white. It's, for me, it's what I call the Spider-Man black and white. There's right. right and wrong and there is no compromise and you do the right thing. If you don't do the right thing, you're complicit. And I like that about Mikey because mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. not just, you know, funny guy and silly dude and all that. You know, there's Mikey gets to be in some ways, some each of the turtles in some ways is every reader. Right. But Mikey gets to be a good chunk of comic book readers because so much of why he wants to do the right thing is because he loves comic books. Right. And that's any of us. Yeah. You know, any of us who read comic books are, are influenced by what we read all the time. There's, you know, Batman's uh, sense of putting others' needs before himself, um, Spider Man's sense of responsibility and duty, and, you know, Captain America always uh, doing the right thing, even at his own expense. And, you know, with the turtles, you get to do those kinds of stories, but in a, in a tangible way for them as well, where now, you know, you got a reader who can relate to them in a way that they weren't able to before. Right. I think that's one of the really interesting things about the comic, uh, the comic book genre overall, the, the, is that with what, 70, 80 years of, of history, it's not that everybody comes in and creates a new comic book, right? It's like, writers come in and take the mantle of a franchise and carry it forward forward for a period of time and bring their learned experiences, their memory of what the franchise was before and the things they wish they saw it do and they expand on it. And then it gets expanded again. And with each generation that comes up they're they're taking the mantle up for all these different stories and making them, bigger and richer and and, it's and, a and altering they make not fundamentally fun. altering characters but taking the essence of what they were when they were kids and building on Letting that them and it's fascinating them yeah it's fascinating to watch that development in, in all of the comics yeah and that's and the thing with that is everybody always says oh, i'm looking for uh, you know i want comics to be darker and all that you're not looking for dark you're looking for complex yeah, you know, it, it's it's one thing for a story to be dark. You know, there are Batman stories that are dark for sure. There are turtle stories that are dark there. Are, you know, one of my favorite Spider-Man stories of all time is Craven's Last Hunt, which is quite possibly the darkest Spider-Man story of all time. And it's not my it's not one of my favorites because it's dark. It's one of my favorites because it's so rich and it's so complex. What it does for Spider-Man, what it does for Craven, what it does for Mary Jane. They're, they're, those characters right there are fundamentally altered because mm-hmm. of that story. Mm-hmm. And for as dark as it, as it is, it was the follow-up to Peter and Mary Jane's wedding. Right. So you've got this really wonderful, great story where they get married. And then, bam, you're right into this dark story where Spider-Man is buried alive and missing for months. And it's you know, one of the most intense things that I had read at that point. And even still to this day, it holds up for me. And, well, and I, I, like, I remember, uh, Gwen Stacy's death. Yeah. Yeah. You that, know, that's a turning point. I remember reading that just going, Oh my God. <laughs> and this was what a year or two after he lost you Captain know. Stacy. Yeah. You know, <laughs> so it, it's, it's that, it's that really, like you said, um, everybody's kind of weaving, uh, the tales together when they're writing and, uh, all the best writers for me, are not writing to serve themselves. They're writing to serve the character. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, you can tell all the stories that you want to tell as long as who that character exists, uh, they remain and they grow. They should always grow as people because that's what they are. Yeah. And if you are not treating them as real flesh and blood, tangible people, then why should I care about what story you're going to tell? And right. they can be gi- big, giant talking turtles, they can be dudes in, you know, leotards. tight costumes and leotards and all that. Or it can be, you know, a couple of friends uh, hanging out at the chocolate shop in Riverdale. It, it doesn't <laughs> matter if, if there's a sense of tangibility to it, then you've done your job, you know, and you set up for the next person. Speaking of Riverdale, you anticipating an, an Archie revival soon with the... Uh um, you know, it, it's it's actually so there's a show coming. Right? Yeah, the Riverdale show. Um, it's going to be really funny because uh, we're going to be doing uh, an Archie pop up show in here. So we're going to have a bunch of art from different collectors and um, different friends of ours who have worked for Archie over the years. And uh, at IDW, we do uh, foreign printing for Archie and we do archival material for Archie. So hmm. it's not totally out of our wheelhouse to do Archie stuff here in the gallery. But it's gonna be it's gonna be an interesting uh, year with that show, 
But um, I'm kind of hoping that the show captures the audience in the way that Archie's revival line has with like Mark Wade and Fiona Staples doing Archie. And then I think it was like Chip Zdarsky and Erica Henderson on Jughead and Adam Hughes on Betty and Veronica. You've got like the best of the best writers and artists working in comics in the last 15, 20, 30 years doing Archie stories that aren't the and if this is if this can sound like I'm insulting them but I promise I'm not the supermarket Archie stories mm-hmm. you know where you just pick it up off the rack at the supermarket and you put it in with your groceries right you know now it's uh, fully realized stories and you have made Archie real you've made Jughead real you've made Betty and Veronica real and I that, think that, that, that's a comic I yeah. never would have imagined would like yeah. Oh, find oh. a new voice. You know? and, and it's been great. Both, you know, all three of those titles have been great. The horror line they do is great. And um, I'm kind of excited about us getting to do a pop-up show in here with that material because uh, again, it's one of Archie is one of those uh, characters, one of those uh, recognizable brands where even if you are not a regular comic book reader, you've read Archie comics, you you've read the double Archie. digest, you know, the characters. Yeah. You watch the cartoons, whatever mm-hmm. era cartoon you grew up with, you know, you know, Josie and Sabrina and all of that. So um, it, it's just Archie is a mainstay. And so it's just, it's going to be cool to be able to have that kind of material in here just because again, it, it's something where, you don't have to read comics to know it and right. you get stoked to see it because you get the warm fuzzies. When, when will that pop up happen? Uh, we are shooting within the next month or so. We're uh, finishing up uh, getting the art that we'll have on loan from uh, different artists, but we've already got a couple pieces. I, I think there's a couple Dan parent pieces, which is really cool. And we'll have some uh, uh, Archie collectibles and memorabilia in here as well to kind of go along with the show. We always try to have uh, some physical representation of the characters or the brands in here with the art that we uh, showcase. Mm-hmm. So, you know, of course we'll always have like turtle toys and then like with all the transformers art, we've got all the transformers toys and all the Godzilla collectibles and all so, the other marketing type stuff. There. Yeah. You know, especially with us at IDW, so many of our titles are uh, licensed titles that have their roots in toys. So right. it's always cool to see, not just how those toys have influenced us, but like with transformers, the case that we have in there, all those toys in there are based on what we're publishing. So oh, okay. it, it's very cool. All those, all those toys are designed by different artists of ours. It's a heck of a present. case of toys, man. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my girlfriend's glad they're out of the house. So <laughs> yeah, that's worked out. That's worked out twofold for me. So where did you grow up? Uh, born and raised in New York city, New York city. Yeah. Yeah. What part? Uh, born in the Bronx, raised in Manhattan, grew up down in the village. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's home. Yeah. But I hate snow, so I love San Diego. Thank you. Yeah, I hate snow too. I'm so over snow. My father was the super of the building I grew up in, so if there was a snow day and he had to shovel, that meant I had to shovel too. So I'm. Yeah, you get over it pretty quick. Oh yeah, kick rocks barefoot. You know, <laughs> I I I love it out here though. You know, and it was cool because growing up where I did, I mean, there's a five block radius with a comic shop wherever you went. You know, right? Um, and especially growing up in the '90s, it was super cool because. In my neighborhood alone, there was at least six or seven different comic book stores and like nine or ten record stores and all that. So no matter what you were into, you know, if I wanted to go pick up my uh, my uh, weekly comics and then uh, pick up like a, a a Pixies album or whatever, it was easy to go from right one there. place to the other <laughs> and then go grab a bite to eat. So. That's the beauty in New York. Oh, yeah, it was yeah. great. All and, the food you want oh. pretty much all day long, all mm-hmm. night long all the music you want all the entertainment that <laughs> you everything want there, everything right? is at your fingertips yeah. and I, I'm really you just have to share with 12 million other people exactly <laughs> so now I'm re- I'm kind of relearning how to live without, without all that out here but you know it's great man I mean San Diego is such a no matter what you like there's something except for football obviously after today but yeah, uh, no matter <laughs> right no matter what you're into there's something for you out here and, and I love the uh that the comic book culture out here is starting to become so much more than just Comic-Con. Because mm-hmm. uh, one of the things that I found kind of jarring when I moved out here, I thought there were comic shops all over. Right, and well, I, that's I, the home of Comic-Con. It's exactly. the mecca of comics. You know? <laughs> and, and this is coming from a guy from New York. But I figure, man, there's got to be at least comic shops in different neighborhoods at the very least or whatever. And um, the comics community out here 
it's it, fluctuated. It, yeah, it's not as big as I thought it was no, going to be. My, when my kids would go to the comic store and be like, oh, that'd be really cool. Yeah. You know, three weeks later, the comic book store is closed. It's, yep. And now I find, and, and I don't want to say, you know, it, it's it's certainly not because of the gallery, but I find that uh, there are more like-minded people who are finding one another and they're starting to build this community. And um, what's great about that is when we, whenever we do signings and events, I see a lot of the same people come back in. And it's not, you know, they're coming back in because they're looking to get signed books and flip them or anything like that. They're, some of them are, are even coming to see each other. Right. And yeah. I, I love that. Yeah, I, well, I, we, were, we were here the other night for the signing that you had right. and we, we were watching and, yeah. and paying attention to what was going on with everybody. And yeah, there and, were just there little were clicks of people who were mm-hmm. hanging out talking. They had no interest in the signing whatsoever. Or they and they look at some art and they talk about the art. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was, it was great to watch. Which I thought was very fun because people were bringing in, their parents and or their children. Yeah, and, and you know now we're almost at three generations of the turtles. So, and, which is that's, frightening. That's and, so yes. weird. To hear. Oh, totally. <laughs> but you know, I, but, you know, got, my six year old nephew, he's totally into the yeah, turtles. My my girlfriend's niece is six. She just started getting into the turtles, and so yeah. she loves like whenever I bring turtles toys and things like that. And you know, I, I'm happy to see that the comics community in San Diego is growing in a way that. Uh, I wasn't expecting it to grow as as fast as it has in the last uh, two years, but you know, I want I want people to come in here and feel like that this is their home. You know, so if you're not necessarily you're coming in to see the art, and then you see someone you know, you start talking, or you meet someone for the first time, you start talking. That's great. This this is your gallery too. This is you know this is San Diego's comic art gallery. It's not just the San Diego comic art gallery, and I. I I take a lot of pride in seeing not just people get stoked about comics, but getting stoked about people who are into comics and uh, seeing such like-minded people and even seeing people who have never read a comic before are reading it for the first time and they feel comfortable about people in here who are talking to them about it because comics can be intimidating. Uh, fandom can be intimidating. It's well, and I worry about that with the – with. Because, you know, let's face it, the movies are a lot of people's entryway into the comics world. And people say, I like this. You know, I went and saw this. And then they get just pounded by the vicious nerds on yeah. the Internet yeah. for liking something. And it's like, what that is wrong with you guys? Book. How yeah. could you like We that? spent like- years fighting against people giving us grief for being nerds. Don't and- bag on somebody oh, who said they like something. Absolutely. You know, like. And I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope that those people who are listening to this show, who are getting into comics because they found them through Netflix or the films or TV, comicdom, nerddom is not the internet. Don't be, don't be detracted from coming down to a gallery like this. Yeah. Don't be detracted from going to your comic book store. Don't be detracted from coming to the gallery. You will find people who will welcome the fact that you are just entering into a new world of appreciation and they will guide you through it. They will, they will show you the best things to look at from their perspective. They will, they will encourage you to discover things and learn and go back and they'll tell you about previous issues of books and, you know, what the best runs were and, and who the best just, artists are and who oh, the totally. good writers are. And it's so, wonderful to get as exposed to that and into that don't be detracted yeah, it's not just the flavor come down talk to tj week. he'll he'll take care of you, you oh know. yeah there's such a history to this and there's such a real good um i would say art the real art art to comic books absolutely my, my favorite you know my favorite thing about comics is talking about comics i i love um you know, I, I love talking about, well, what's my favorite story, my favorite artist, or what's your favorite story, what's your favorite artist. But my, my favorite thing, and it was when I managed the comic book store back home, uh, whenever I would get someone who had never read a comic book before, the first thing I'd ask them was, well, what's your favorite movie? Then they talk about what their favorite movie is. Then you find the comic that you feel is tailor-made for them. They come back and they say, that was amazing. I really trust your uh, recommendation. What else do you have for me? And that's all this is. I mean, everybody starts somewhere. You know, I started with the superpowers toys. Then I got to Batman, the animated series a few years later. Oh, and that was, that's the best, you know, that's really moving what it, picture representation. Of Batman. Oh, absolutely. There, there is no Batman outside of comics better than Batman, the animated series. And yeah. 
be, and so much of it is because it's accessible to new viewers, to new fans. But Batman is so what you want him to be in terms of dark and grim and scary and totally and utterly compassionate. Yep. You know, I, I tell everybody all the time that that the two part Robin origin episode is the perfect example of Batman knocking down doors and shaking down bad guys and Batman telling Robin that he was afraid of him going after his parents killer because he was afraid he was going to lose Robin, you know, mm-hmm. and, and it's that that great balance of characterization. And um, anybody who's never read comics before, um, it, it sucks because they're always going to have questions and there's p- going to be people who talk at them rather than talk to them. And my favorite thing is talking to readers and non-readers about comics and you know, telling them, oh, well, you should be reading this because X, Y, and Z and blah, blah, blah. And it's, you know, it's like I said earlier, anybody who loves something wants to share it. Mm-hmm. You know, that's really, it's such a big, big deal. You know, and someone, someone will ask me, oh, well, what's your favorite comic book of all time? I'll say, well, I'll tell you my three favorite comic books of all time. And then, you know, <laughs> and you just get like that. And it, and, they're, and they're from different genres. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You know, it, it couldn't be further apart from one another with a lot of it, but that's great. That's you know, it's like I said, you know, it's one one night I want pepperoni, the other night I want pineapples. Right. You know, so it's, right. it's always going to be that with comics. Yeah. When I was a kid, it was Superman, Spider-Man, and the Turtles. Nice. Oh, totally. those, those were my three primary. And then and then the X-Men came in yeah. behind that. Mine was Superman, Batman, um, Archie's. Nice. And then um, Richie Rich. Oh, cool. The Harvey Tunes, all that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Casper. And Casper and all mm-hmm. those Pasta, guys. All that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, when I was, I watched all the animated versions. Yeah, right. of those, I watched them I too. And, and of course, the Super Friends. Yep. <laughs> you know, when I was a kid, it was all about um, it was all about Robin, just because uh, I didn't want to be Batman because Batman seemed scary and sometimes he seemed he seemed sad to me, and, and not pathetic. I mean, like he seemed like he was sad. And um, Robin. Well, and when you're a kid, you don't understand Batman's mm-hmm. sadness and the way you do when you're older, for sure. And yeah. but Robin seemed like he was having fun. And it was, well... Well, Robin was on a journey of discovery. Exactly. And so at that age, too, so were you. Yeah, and so that, that was that was perfect for me as a kid. So it was, well, I don't want to be Batman, but I can totally be Robin and hang out with Batman. So that was really cool. And then Spider-Man, you know, I grew up in New York. You know, I had I went through my uh, fair share of some stuff as a kid, and uh, Spider-Man was easy to relate to. So there was that. And then the Turtles, again, you know, from New York. So mm-hmm. it was easy to get into them. But then... It's great because as you get older, you find, you know, there are series that you love that have nothing to do with any of the stuff that you love as a kid. You still love all that stuff, but then your taste changes, it grows, it expands. And, you know, I, I always liked that, um, you know, in, in my Desert Island books, because everybody's got Desert Island books. I think maybe only two of them are superhero books. Yeah. You know, which is funny because, you know, all my tattoos are superheroes, all that. <laughs> but um, it's while it's something that I love the most, it's not the only thing that I love. Right. You know, yeah. and I just I love what well, none of us do. None of us are ever just one thing. Exactly. Well, it's like, you know, when I was growing up, you know, I was into punk rock and I was into hip hop <laughs> and it was, you know, I was always, well, what? You don't like one or the other. It's like, well, why would I do that? You know, that's that, that's not fun. Yeah. You know, cu- cutting yourself off from anything isn't fun. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I. A forty-one-year-old male, <laughs> yeah, who loves you know Katy Perry and Taylor Swift. There you go. And like you know, my brother-in-laws—they're always rolling their eyes at me. Like, dude, I'm like, no, man, this stuff's fun. It makes me happy. Well, right? it, it's know? just like, like you—you you looked me at break. me the other day when when I said I like dance music. I mean, I like techno and dance music. Yeah, I asked Kyle, And I'm, I'm old like, enough like, almost to be I'm his like, mother. Music do you like? I mean, come on now. <laughs> She's like, I like EDM. I'm like, what? There you go. <laughs> you know. Oh, Joey Ramone had always said that um, his ultimate goal for the Ramones was to be uh, on the radio. You know, th- he always said that they were a bubblegum band. And, mm-hmm. you know, you've got, you know, talking about like the comic book snobs, you've got uh, music snobs who, you know, will talk about, you know, if it's on the radio, that means it's bad. And, you know, that was Joey's ultimate goal was for the Ramones to be on the radio. You turn the dial and bam, you know, I want to be sedated as playing. And to the point where, Archie just did that Archie Ramones miniseries. Like that's <laughs> that right there is the pinnacle of what Joey Ramone was looking for for that band because right. there's nothing in comics more bubblegum than the Archies. Right. You know. Yeah. So it, it's just that that, that perfect meeting of uh, 
two great tastes that taste great together in, in that sense. <laughs> and, you know, that's, that's the beauty of all of this is, well, I think it's, it's it a, has its, its strengths. There's a humanity to everything and, and it's Absolutely. finding the humanity when this stuff works is when I think, yeah, somebody might be a superhero, but when you can see the person in them, mm-hmm. when you see the, the, that heart that and, and I keep telling people like, I, I love the Marvel movies. Like, mm-hmm, I think for the, sure. I think the Marvel movies do a really good job of encapsulating that humanity within the characters. Um, light and dark both, you know, but there's one moment, and I, I've come back to it a few times, there's one moment that sums up the entirety of the Marvel success in that for me, and it's the exchange between Captain America and Spider-Man in Civil War, where, you know, you got heart, kid, where are you from? <laughs> you know, yeah. that little exchange, it's three lines mostly single words yeah. says everything about why I love those Marvel movies. It's funny. You should mention that scene because um, my girlfriend and our friends, we went to see it in the theater and it was really funny because I started, I started laughing at that scene, like giggling and it she, she started laughing and I knew why she was laughing because she, um, she gives me crap about um, New, New Yorkers we can't just say, oh, I'm from New York. Like, what did you say? You know, what did you say to me? (laughs) You know, I'm born in the Bronx, raised in Manhattan. Like every one of us reps our borough in a way that people from, you know, other places, they don't, they don't do that. People here. Is it New York thing or is it an East coast? It's very much a New York thing. You know, like it's it's a New York, any, any of, any of my friends back home, you know, oh yeah, I'm from Brooklyn, you know, I'm from Brooklyn, Flatbush. You know, they'll talk about what neighborhood they're from. I'm from Brownsville, you know, mm-hmm. um, from from the Bronx, Arthur Avenue or, you know, Castle Hill and all that. Yeah. And it, it's such a perfect scene because it's not just, you know, oh, I'm from New York. Like, you know, Peter right there is um, from Queens. And, you yeah, know, there's Captain such America an identity immediately to, to just a, a set of blocks. Yeah. You know, just an area of just a few blocks. You know, I, I have to explain to my girlfriend quite often about what it is to be from New York and to grow up there and everything and how, you know, we don't call Manhattan Manhattan. We call it the city, you know. Mm-hmm. And But I have to say Manhattan on the podcast because not everybody's going to understand what I, right. mean, what I mean when I say the city. Because right? there's lots of cities. Exactly. So, you know, th- there's the outer boroughs and the city. Yep. You know, it's all oh, Brooklyn, Bronx, Queens, Staten Island, the city. You know, but <laughs> if, they're, if you live in the outer boroughs, it's, oh, we're going to go into the city. Yep. So <laughs> it, it, it's that perfect moment in that scene where Captain America and Spider-Man, for someone like me, become even more real than they were before because now they talk like me. Yeah. You right? know? Yeah. And Tom Holland is so good at getting a bit of that Queens accent going on in there, too. You can you can hear a little a little bit of that going on with him. And it, it's just it's perfect. It, it, it's it's perfect in every conceivable way it can be and you talk about realism to me again real realism isn't talking about you know batman you know again batman losing the cartilage in his knees and retiring and that, that that's nonsense uh realism realism to me is you know exchanges between um peter and tony where um you know when tony says oh you know is that why you're doing this you're looking out for the little guy mm-hmm. and peter's like yeah that's exactly it and not telling him I'm doing this because I'm totally guilty because my uncle died and it's my fault. Right. We already know that we don't need to hear it, but it works in a way where if Peter avoids having to talk about that, he doesn't have to talk about power and responsibility. And he doesn't have to talk about the guilt that he carries. Mm -hmm. You know, it's enough to hear him say, if you've got the ability to do something and someone gets hurt because you didn't do something, it's your fault. Right. You know, and, and that to me, I tell everybody, uh, especially in fiction, tangibility is everything. If a character is intangible, I don't care. Yeah. You know, and, and in that moment there, you know, it's like, you know, Cap is tangible. Peter is tangible. Yeah. You know, even well, hearing and, and Cap was so And Cap was so true to the spirit of Cap because here he is battling against Spider-Man but not holding it against him. Yeah. He, he <laughs> no. knows this is a kid who's trying to do the right He's thing like, too. You know, yeah, well, we're all, you know, we're all on our sides. Every I'm, time Ant-Man talks to Cap and it's, well, hello, Captain America. And <laughs> you know, it's just this, this idea of, oh my gosh, I'm a superhero and I'm around these dudes and that's Captain America. What am I going to do? And it, it's great because every one of us has been out of our element before mm-hmm. and we don't know necessarily what to do when you're out of your element. Yeah, and when, when you meet your heroes. Exactly. And whether they're superheroes or just regular guys, sure. we all have that moment of fangasming where we don't know what to say. 
And even Steve would say he's just a regular guy. You know, he always mm-hmm. says, you know, I'm just a kid from Brooklyn. And um, although I have to, my job, although I have to say, if any of my friends back home are listening, I've got a few friends who get mad that Cap in the movies is from Brooklyn because they'll always talk about, well, Cap's from the Lower East Side in the comics. So I'm making sure that I say that just in case. But um, so they know I'm referencing that. But um, it, nice it, save. Right. <laughs> oh, I'll, I'll hear it. Trust me. You know, but that's, you know, again, all of this stuff, fic- fiction as a whole, you know, if if there's not if there's no takeaway then why are you going to, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's really, really such, such a big, big thing, yeah. you know, and it's going to be nice to see as all that grows and you just want to hope that anything that's adapted, I mean, um, like Winona Earp for us, you know, those characters are all so well-rounded and they're so um, different from one another. It's not just about, okay, cool. Winona has, her great grandfather's enchanted gun and she's going to send all them back. Now it's, you know, the responsibility of not just dealing with what she has to deal with now, but the responsibility of coming to terms with her past. Every one of us deals with that. Every one of us has something that's happened in our past. That's come back or you're afraid is going to come back and you have to figure out what to do. And you know, that's, that's how you make comics real. It's not about who curses the most and who's, Who's the, got the badass toys? Yeah, you know. Well, that's fun. That's but, fun. Sure. It's but fun, does it, does but it it's just the spicing always, on top yeah, of the pizza. That's the, that's the decoration. Exactly. You know, it, it, it's, it's, really just, it's really just about finding the thing that speaks to you and what you get out of it and how you use that to influence you. I mean, that's mm-hmm. all of us. And all of us who read comics are influenced by all this stuff, but then it's how do you use it to influence the next person? Right. What do you do to make the next person's life a little bit better or impact them through the stuff that you love. And that's, and within series and, and like, you got to get it out in 22 pages Mm -hmm. and, you know, between the writers and the artists and stuff, they, they've got to really collaborate both visually and with the dialogue, you know, and I think it's just, it's exciting that all that gets to come to life in a way that nothing else in, in nothing else in any form of entertainment does. I mean, uh, I think um, there's a great quote, and I, I might I might kind of misquote it. Uh, Harlan Ellison had once said that there are only three true forms of American entertainment. It was uh, jazz, baseball, and comic books. Mm-hmm. And I always mm-hmm. like that because each of them are so quintessentially American, but have had such great success in other areas. You know, right. uh, baseball in South America and Japan is huge. Uh, jazz in France is you know, ginormous. And then comic books, obviously, I mean, all over the world between uh, the Franco-Belgian region, mm-hmm. Japan, the UK, you know, Australia, wh- wherever. And they've managed to spin off and create their own little universes, and, mm-hmm. you know, with, with anime and, oh, yeah. and, and the like. Well, you know, you, you look at some of the stuff that we've done over years. I mean, we're, we're the American home of publishing Judge Dredd and there are a few comics that are as British and as, you know, UK, uh, you know, mm-hmm. like, British steel, like Judas priest, the way judge dread is, you know, Mm -hmm. and it, it, to me, that stands shoulder to shoulder with some of the best stuff of the last 40 years is, uh, you know, 2080, you know, ABC warriors, all that stuff. So it's, it's cool. I mean, it, it, it constantly comics are constantly evolving and becoming something different sometime and mostly, mostly for the better. You know, uh, I think there are ways we can get new readers in. I think there are other things that we can be doing. But overall, I think this has been the best time for getting people to read comics because it's accessible. The most popular TV show on TV is The Walking Dead. Most popular movies are the Marvel movies. Most popular video game is the Batman movies. You know, then we've got um, two shows at IDW on TV right now between Winona Earp and Dirk Gently. And it's just, it's, it's so gently. It's great. Oh, it's so much fun. (laughs) And, uh, it's so cool because you'll have people talk about Comic Con and they'll say, well, you know, it's film and television and animation and video games and toys and then comic books. But what people seem to forget is that comic books are last, not because we come in last, but we, as an industry, hold everybody else up. We're a totem. You're the base. We're the base of it. And nobody has, I don't want to say nobody. There are very few who are pumping out new and original and exciting content in film and television and animation. Whereas us, our job in comics is to come up with new and innovative and exciting material every month. 
Well, they, they, yeah. what, what is it? Comic Con calls itself now the the pop popular. culture convention, yeah, yeah. The celebration and, of and, popular arts, and really. Comic books are the foundation. Absolutely, of, we of we are right popular now. arts, yeah. and you know, Comic Con does. It's and even still, even stuff that starts out like in film, yeah, finds its way into the comics. Oh, absolutely, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Star Wars. Well, great I mean, example. Farscape was you know? a television show, mm-hmm. and it went into comics. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, we've we've got a lot of comics that we do here that all come from film and television. You know, I mean, for years we did Doctor Who, we did Angel, mm-hmm. we did Spike. Um, I mean. Transformers, Star Trek, G.I. Joe, all that is huge for us right now. Yeah. Star Trek might be, um, for what it's worth, I think the Star Trek comics that we're putting out are the best Star Trek comics in the history of that uh, of that brand, of that really? franchise. You know, as a guy who likes Star Trek but didn't like Star Trek comics growing up because they were boring to me. Yeah, like I haven't yeah. I haven't read a Star Trek comic no, in years. Our Star years. Trek books are exciting, you know? Really? And, and, you know, action-packed but thoughtful and mindful, you mm-hmm. know? Um, there's a great issue. Um, I guess the last Star Trek comic I read was was the ones that led into Into Darkness. Like, yeah, that little mini series. Like that's the last. I, I liked them. I was yeah. Really oh, the, the the stuff that we've done with the movie verse is great. And um, Mike Johnson, who uh, wrote all that stuff, um, there's an issue where uh, the the red shirt who beats up Kirk in the bar in the first of the new movies. Mm-hmm. He was on, he's been on our podcast. Oh, awesome. Yeah. There's, okay. a, there's an issue about him writing home to his parents about uh, the red shirts being the laughing stock, but him taking great pride in being a red shirt and uh, why it's so important to him. And and it's just, it's such mm. a great, perfect, single, done in one issue story. And you get to understand a certain group of characters and you get to understand the main characters through the eyes of them. And it's that's cool. Th- things like that to me are, are amazing because you again you get to take this thing that you know, maybe turn it around a little bit and see it from a totally new point of view. And that's that's what we should be doing all the time in, in storytelling and comic right. books and all that. It's you know it doesn't always have to. It's like we said earlier. It doesn't always have to be reinventing the wheel. You just have to drive the car. Right. You know. Right. So uh, the gallery is it open Wednesday through Saturdays? Wednesday through Saturdays. Uh, we're open till six o'clock. Uh, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday we open at one. Saturdays we open at eleven. Okay. Um, depending on uh, the season, we'll be open on Sundays as well. We're uh, we're closed on Sundays right now just because it's kind of a quiet time for us on mm-hmm. uh, Sundays. But then once uh, by spring summer rolls around, we'll probably be open on Sundays again. Cool. And you're here at Liberty Station. Yeah. Well, Why uh, choose Liberty Station? Why not? <laughs> it's awesome over here. It's so it's so cool over here. I was um, telling Carla, I think my I think these were the barracks my dad was in during boot camp. That's amazing. Like this building. I'm pretty sure Barrack Three was my dad's building. Yeah. yeah. It, it you know, it's so cool with uh people who come in who were in the Navy and they did their training here because they'll tell you, Oh, and, and the bed was over here and the first aid kit was over here and, and they'll and they will tell it to you like they were there yesterday. Yeah. And it's just there, there's such a history over here that you can't get anywhere else. And But then on the flip-flop, what's great about the offices being here is it just feels like this big sprawling sort of campus. And mm-hmm. if you got to get away from the computer for a little bit, go for a walk, you can do that. You want to get a coffee. There's nice gardens and oh, stuff yeah. all around. You it's know, beautiful. You, there's an ice skating here. rink. Yep. The ice, the ice rink just closed, actually, for the, uh, for the rest of the year, though, because... Yeah. But it was great, though. I love ice skating, so it was nice to be able to go and do that. Um, no, the Who needs art- Rockefeller Center? And there's a, and there's <laughs> a, apparently that. a big arts community out here. Yeah, so be- that's the arts district over here. And uh, between us and then uh, outside the lens, the photography studio, FX Dojo, Watercolor Society, there, there are so many different things to see. I mean, Point Loma Tea is great, you know. And the writer's then, workshop is right across the yeah, street. Yeah, and then you've got the uh, Liberty Public Market between mm-hmm. all the restaurants in there and then the mess hall and bottle craft and th- there's all these different things to eat and drink, all these different yeah. uh, You can really come down here and make a day of it. Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. it, it's in awesome. Nice. You know, and, and I always get excited because a lot of the people who come in, they come in for the market now and then they start exploring everything else and, and it's great because Usually with the gallery, it's, oh, my God, I had no idea you were here. Oh, my God, I loved the Ninja Turtles when I was a kid. Oh, my God, they still make comics. So it, yeah. it's it's great because then I get to talk to them about any of that stuff. Yeah. And, you know, I, I'm not the one who has to engage them. They, they start the conversation immediately, and they're happy to. They're excited to. They want to talk about all of this. And it's 
you know, it's it just, makes your job so much easier. You know what? Yeah, but also it, it makes my job so much happier. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. I, I like that sense of friendly. I like that sense of people wanting to come in and and just talk about anything. It doesn't. I don't care if you don't want to talk about comics and you're talking to me about you know what uh, the the food you just tried over there or um, the outside festival that was over here. You know, that's great. Talk to me. You know, mm. I just I just like seeing people over here feeling pleasant and good and friendly because this whole area fosters that lifestyle you know everything about liberty station to me is is just kind it's nice it's cool and it's it's welcoming and i i love that we get to be here for that cool well thank you for sitting down and chatting oh my pleasure um you're incredibly personable person i try to be anybody (laughs) who wants to come down to the gallery man ask for tj because He'll 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 hook you up. He'll show you around. Like yeah, this place and, is and amazing. And don't forget to check out like the website. Cause yeah, you, cause absolutely. Because you post the uh, the the Friday the first Friday of yep. every month. You do the artist signings. Yeah. So. Um, SD um, SD dot com. Check us out on there. Then Facebook and Twitter is the same thing. SD Comic Art Gallery. Cool. Yeah. Thank you, TJ. My pleasure. Thank you so much, guys. Thank this you. has been awesome. And come back anytime. You know, we're always putting up new exhibits. But every uh, three to four months, depending on uh, the subject matter. Sometimes some of it takes a little longer, some a little shorter, but there's literally always something new to see. Yeah, we'll definitely come back. Thank you so much. That was a wonderful episode. Thank you to TJ and the San Diego Comic Art Gallery for hosting us. We had a really good time chatting with them, and uh, we hope that uh, you'll swing by there soon and take a look at all of the art. Um, It's really fantastic. Fun for the whole family. Really, it's just going to satisfy the nerd side of you. So just go. Go down to Santa Comic Art Gallery at uh, Liberty Station. You'll you'll enjoy it. And I want to make sure to, well, kind of announce and tell everybody to join us on February 27th when The Intellectual goes to television. That's right. We're going to launch The Intellectual Talk Show on KSDY Channel 50. Uh, with our sister uh, program tonight in San Diego on KSDY. And it's going to be great. We've got a nice list of guests that will be joining us on the TV show, including uh, Nathan Darrow from TV's Gotham and Netflix's House of Cards. And uh, we've got San Diego legend Shotgun Tom Kelly joining us on the TV show. It was an honor to have him on the podcast, and I'm even more honored that he's going to come and join us for our TV show as well. Uh, they're just a couple of a long list of people that we're getting together for the show. I think you're going to really enjoy it. So we launch on February 27th on KSDY Channel 50. So be on the lookout for further announcements about the talk show. And, you know, if you're looking to advertise, uh, there are opportunities to advertise on our talk show, on our podcast, and on our website. Be sure to contact us at info at theintellectual.com or call us at 760-456-9469 to inquire about opportunities to advertise with the intellectuals. Until next time, thanks for joining us here at The Intellectual Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Dawson, and we'll talk soon.